Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puppy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh is the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshisthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh is the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It would definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast and this is episode 165 and the guest for this episode is mark slaughter lead singer and guitarist of the legendary hard rock band slaughter and previously the frontman for the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Slaughter also works as a voiceover actor, 
and composes music for television, movies, and sports outlets, along with still touring with Slaughter and releasing his own solo albums. And this is like a bucket list interview for me. Like, this is mind-blowing because I loved Slaughter's Stick It To Ya. They had Up All Night and Fly To The Angels on it like when I was a kid. I used to play that tape so much. So this was like a treat. And Mark Slaughter was awesome to talk to. He's such a good guy. You know, during our chat, we talked about the making of Stick It To Ya and why it became so popular. Um, also, transitioning from the 80s into the 90s as a hard rock band, touring today, having multiple avenues of artistry, how he became a musician, his time in the Vinnie Vincent invasion, advice for artists trying to break into their craft, whatever it is, working with his longtime collaborator, Dana Strom, his voiceover work, and why the music he's made still resonates today. Before we get into this interview with Mark Slaughter, definitely want to remind you that how you can support Fresh of the Word is by contributing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh the word. And for as little as a dollar, you can help out with whatever I'm trying to do here. It uh, does take a lot, well, a little bit of a lot to uh, help maintain everything. And it could be a little bit easier if you, uh, you know, help out, help out a brother. And for the $3 a month tier, I dig deep into my audio archives of interviews that I've done outside Fresh of the Word for over the past decade for other publications, some I never even used. Um, we have a few up right now. I'm going to definitely going to be posting a bunch more um, coming up. I also did, you know, posted a few other like DJ mixes and stuff like that, other digital goodies that I've done. So... Please go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word. Check out all the, the, the pledge tiers. There's even a few where you can be a part of the podcast. And uh, that would help out a lot. So enough of that. Let's get on to the interview with Mark Slaughter. This is like such like a bucket list interview for me because when I was a kid, Slaughter's Stick It To You was such like an important album for me. I was like nine years old and I was listening to that like crazy. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> great. You know, it's funny. You know, music is such an impactful thing in, in all of our lives. It's one of those things you just go, man, that's just crazy. You know, cause I, I know how it is and I've met people that uh, music has been a big part of my life as well. So it's kind of, kind of wild to uh, chat with people, the soundtrack of your life, you know? It's all good. Yeah, definitely. Like, we're, you know, coming up on 30 years since that uh, album came out. You know, when you look back at that time, you know, uh, Slaughter coming out of uh, the Vinnie Vince Invasion, you know, what was sort of your mm -hmm. feelings about making that album? What really sticks out to you? I think the main thing is when we were doing the record was to make songs, to make songs that were... You know, we were realizing you know, it was more about the songwriting than it was of uh, an example of, uh, of, you know, look what I can do and look at how I, how I can play. And, um, and we really just wanted to write songs. So I think that was the, you know, for me, it was the first time that it was just, you know, showing songwriting abilities and, and uh, Dana, you know, and I doing the production stuff. It was self-produced, you know, we're the only band from our genre at that time that was allowed to, you know, really make our own record. 
Um, we wrote it and produced it and still play it for this day. And I don't think anybody else from our genre was able to, to do all that. So uh, it was a complete blessing. I mean, everybody's doing it nowadays, but, you know, back in 1989 when we were actually tracking, you know, we were the only band doing that. Why do you think they had so much faith in you to just let you guys do it? I th- well, we kind of held a, a bargain line, which is, you know, we had some demos that we did, and they really, they knew what they had, and we just said, look, don't start sending us a producer in here to screw this up, other writers, and, and record this, you know, that way, and our, our demos are, were pretty elaborate, um, I mean, even like when I'm making music nowadays, it's like demos that turn into masters, then we actually re-recorded everything, but um, it was that whole mindset of just really making it sound good from the beginning. Do you feel like that that sort of rawness of that sort of you guys got to do whatever you wanted to do, um, you know, focused on making good songs is the reason why that album was so liked by so many? I think it was a time. I think there's an element of, of a lot of things. There was radio in place at that time. There was, uh, um, you know, MTV was actually playing videos. And, uh, um, you know, you, there's, there's many aspects that kept that to something that would connect, you know. Um, radio was important. Everybody would listen to radio at that time and, there was a, one place that you could hear music and learn about music. And, you know, nowadays you're dealing with, with a attention deficit society, which everybody just kind of point and clicks on everything. If they don't like it within one, one and a half seconds, they move on to something else. So, you know, that's just how fast the world goes. It's just a much faster society than it was, but it also means that we're never focused on, you know, hey, you know, Slaughter's coming into town with Kiss and go out and check out the show. People are like, oh, wow, okay, there's the party. So they they knew the circus was coming into town. They knew that there was something special. You guys are making this album at the end of the 80s and comes out in 90. This is, you know, there's definitely going to be a shift in rock music when grunge hits. Did you feel any sort of uh, shift going on in the music industry at that time? Well, we were told there was a new programmer at MTV that worked at a station out of L.A. called K-Rock. Right. And uh, which is an alternative station. It was the first alternative station in the nation. And their whole thing was to play things that were not commercial, not the typical thing. And uh, so, so, so all of a sudden there's, this, there's, a, there's a guy from, who is the, the president of MTV that was the previous programmer of K-Rock who goes in and says, I will no longer play bands like Motley Crue. I'll never play bands like Poison or Slaughter and start listing, you know, many of our bands from our ilk. And that was it. They stopped playing us. So the ship was also from the biggest radio station, which is MTV. They consciously said that we're not going to play this band, these bands. And the radio stations followed suit. So it's not like everybody's like, oh, Nirvana did this. And it was this. No, I, it's, it's, it's secular. There's, there's every 
10 years, every decade, every, there's always a shift in, in, you know, in music. There was kind of the 60s music that, the, you know, when the Beatles came, there's always something that comes in and shakes it up a bit. At that time, though, at the end of the 80s, like, did you have any sort of just inkling where the industry would go next when you're, you know, going from the Vinnie Vincent invasion to Slaughter? You know, what was your, you know, your thoughts about what the 90s had in store? Well, we held the record. We actually had the record finished um, in the middle of 1989, and we told the record label we wanted to hold it till 90 because we didn't think that they had their marketing intact in, in at that point. We wanted to wait and market it properly. I mean, bottom line is, in anything that you do, you want to make sure that it's known and people you know, are aware of it. And, you know, looking back on that, it was a you know, pretty bold and smart move from young guys that were, you know, uh, running the ship. It was just something very different. Um, thinking about the marketing plan more than we just need to get this music out and play. I mean... Yeah, it was definitely biting your biting your lip on that one. You guys had, you know, several hit singles from that album, Up All Night, Spend My Life, Mad About You, Fly to the Angels. You know, these are songs that, you know, rock fans from that time still, you know, remember. You know, when was the first, you know, inkling that this band Slaughter might actually work out for for at least the time band, that this album might actually have some legs on it? Well, when we first, what happened was, is when we when we released the the um, the record, you know, it was already you know kind of leaked out to the radio stations. It was already getting a really good fan response. Um, MTV said they wouldn't play up all night because they thought it was too sexist at <laughs> that time. They were starting, you know, because we had girls in the video, so they didn't like the video, and uh, you know, uh, in. You know, I, I think there's a whole movement going on at that point of stop objectifying women. And then they decided that the rock bands couldn't have any, you know, girls in their video. And then, of course, the rap stuff comes in and and uh, and they they pretty much, you know, started putting girls in their videos. <laughs> and then they played that. So it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, I, I don't understand that, but that's kind of how it went. Um, it's, you know, getting back to the, the, the videos and all that, the, 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 it was all songs that did resonate with people. It was something that I think that, that was, was a, uh, how should I put it? Um, I think that it was the soundtrack of what people were listening to at that time. It was upbeat. It was very positive. I mean, in that time, I think everybody had a different mindset. I mean, we didn't have the crazy stuff that's going on in our world today as we have. You know, I don't know how people find music or how they can let, you know, find it. It's, it's just crazy because it's just so scattered and fragmented. But we were really lucky. We, we had the songs and, and the songs connected to people. And is there really a magic button that makes anything happen? No, it's a lot of timing. It's, it's a lot of, you know, a, a being an artist, it's just, same thing when the things started to, to change. When the grunge era came in, we continued to play. We didn't stop. We never stopped. We never stopped. Okay, now's a good time to go make money. Let's put the band back together. You know, we, we continued. How do you think you were able to just continue on, 
you know, after, you know, radio stations like K-Rock were like, we're not going to play bands like Slaughter anymore. You guys did five albums in the 90s. You know, what sort of, you know, why didn't you guys stop? You know, what, what was, the, you know, the reasoning behind all that? I think it's the same reason why I still make solo records right now, even though it's like, you know, it doesn't really, people are not even aware of it. It's just the point, if you're an artist, you create art. And if you play music, you play music. You know, it's it's what you do. It's not like it's not like something that is the money changes. And I think that's you know that's kind of where I'm at with things. Like you know, right now I'm about to put out a single that you know uh, of a song called Glamour Girl that I wrote with a gentleman named uh, Mike Himmel, amazing guitar player. Um, and, you know, it really boils down to this. You just, you make music, you continue to grow, you continue to, to, you know, collaborate with other people and do things if that's, if that's in your, you know, in your DNA. And, you know, that's, I can't stop on that just because it's not a, um, a good money grab. Over the past, you know, probably, you know, five to 10 years, you know, you definitely seen this, the rise of, you know, big festivals, rock festivals in the U.S. and abroad. And, you know, it, it's they have a lot of different bands from different generations. And, you know, mm -hmm. Slaughter is still touring. You're even doing shows with, um, you know, some of the other bands that you had. You know, how has the touring been for you over the years? And um, how has, like, that, you know, have you been able to take advantage of that uh, festival circuit? Um, there's festivals that pop up here and there. We're doing Rocklahoma this year um, on a Thursday night, um, and uh, there's we've done Sweden Rock Fest. You know, we've done quite a few of them, um, and you know, it's an amazing. Again, those are amazing because you really get a chance to hear music from not just, uh, especially overseas, you hear music from all around the world instead of just you know what's on your radio dial. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a great blessing. I mean, we've been able to continue touring. I'm playing a show in, uh, New Mexico this weekend. Um, I leave for that tomorrow and then, uh, you know, back home the next day. Then I have a quick turnaround head off to Tucson and I head off to, to Utah. I mean, it's, I, you know, I haven't stopped and, you know, there's, there's plenty of artists, you know, like for instance, Eric Martin, he does, uh, does Mr. Big. And when he's not doing Mr. Big, he's out. You know, playing acoustically and playing with a couple of buddies from Trickster. I mean, it's all, everybody's doing what they like to do. Right. And how does it feel to sort of, you know, be able to, you know, do different things? You know, you can do the slaughter thing. You can do your own thing. You can uh, do the uh, shows with the other bands you've been into. You know, like back in the day, everybody would kind of center around just their main band. But how does yeah, it feel to be able to do all that? Yeah, I think. Well, I think that what happened with that is everybody's like, you'd have a, you, you have a band, you just had this whole thing, we're going to do what we do, and we're going to rule the world. And there was just camaraderie because you really fought as a band uh, in it. And I think that now, I think that what you're seeing is you're seeing a genre that fights together to keep the genre. Um, you know, again, you can... You know, I could call Stephen Pierce and say, hey, dude, we're going to go. I'd like to do this. I think this would be good. This, what do you think? You know, you can call different people and make it happen. When before, it's like, no, dude, I'm doing rat and rat only. You know, it's just 
we're we're all you know again this is the music business not the music fun but at the same time it's it's very um you got to be mindful of how you do it and you also need to do it in the side of that it doesn't uh negate everything that you've built these days you know you're still you know still making music doing solo stuff you know how do you sort of uh you know, get the, the, you know, keep the passion alive to be able to make new music when a lot of older bands also feel like no one's going to care about new music. Well, there's, there's a point where there's a lot of people that don't care about new music. And, uh, I'll never forget. I went and saw Paul McCartney play. Um, he played the silver dome in Las Vegas when we were just kind of coming out of our, you know, the second record, it was, you know, and uh, Paul McCartney does a song from the Beatles. He does a song from the Wings and, and he goes, and now I've got a new one for you. And the whole place sat down and ran out and bought a T-shirt um, or went and got a beer. And I just realized that it's really built on the songs that connect to people and why they connect is, is that whole wheel that somebody really emotionally gets attached to it. And the Beatles, obviously, and the Wings and all that stuff was emotionally something, you know, that they're attached to. Sometimes there's an audience that just really wants to go on this nostalgic basis as opposed to something that's, you know, new and relevant. Oh, that means so much to me. People don't even really give it the time anymore to hear something new because they just want to go about their day and... You know, again, it's attention deficit society because people are just kind of scraping the the frosting. They're not getting down to the cake (laughs) and they really don't want to. And, you know, that's okay. I mean, you just got to realize that's just the way it is. Do you feel like here in, you know, in 2019, you know, when you're doing shows, do you feel like, you know, your crowds are receptive to the songs that you play, play that aren't Fly to the Angels or Up All Night? Well, with Slaughter, we really, I'll be honest, with Slaughter, we play the hits. We really don't. We did a, a tour with, you know, with Ted Nugent and, and, uh, and Quiet Riot and a whole bunch of us, you know, Warren and all of us were, were out there doing it. And we realized that, you know, you play something new, people just kind of, you know, they'll bob their head and they'll be into it. But they're not passionately singing because they don't know it. So what do you do when you've got songs that have have a deep meaning in people's lives? You play the songs that, that connected. I mean, it makes for a better show. It's kind of like with, if you went and saw the end of the road tour with kiss and they played all new stuff people would be pissed you know <laughs> I, I wanted i wanted to hear you know detroit rock city i wanted to hear this i mean you got to know who you're playing to and understand that the key point of this is we're in the entertainment business hey this all the time we're in the entertainment business which means to entertain not to it's not a um, a thing of saying here here's a talent contest and here's a new song and if people are open to it, they'll find the music, um, you know, or you can do a song much like Paul McCartney did, but still, even with people who have that deep catalog, people want to hear the deep catalog. To, to uh, kind of rewind a little bit, um, 
you know, how, you know, what kind of a kid were you? You know, how did you first get into, you know, when, when did you want to first be a musician? Um, it's funny. I, I, music was always a constant in my life that I always listened to songs. I always listened to music and, and my recall of even the music that I grew up with as a kid is, is kind of crazy. It's, it's just a part of who I am. Um, you know, I, I always like, you know, if I was on the swing set, I'd be singing. If I was riding my bike, I'd be singing. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, there was, a um, I was going into the fifth grade. I know exactly what it was. I was going into fifth grade and, um, they're having like choir tryouts. I'm like, choir, oh, that sounds like fun. It's music. Right. So they do a thing where they listen to your voice and, and the, the teacher's like, man, you got a great voice. And was like, really into it. And the funny thing is, is they didn't do it with the piano. They did it with acoustic guitar. This is this, this is the early seventies. So they were playing like nylon string folk guitar, <laughs> you know, much of like what Led Zeppelin and, you know, does, you know, the folk side when they just break down to acoustics. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. Well, my sister bought me a guitar from Mexico and, um, and it was impossible to play. I mean, it was an inch off, the, the strings are inch off the fretboard, but I still learned to play it. I still fought to play it. And they were like, wow. They, and they called my parents and said, this guy, you know, this kid really wants to play music and, and is doing things that, you know, we can't even play that guitar. Get him a real guitar for, you know, 50 bucks or whatever. And so they got me a guitar and I started learning that kind of that folk style. By the time seventh grade hit, there was, you know, all the rock and roll stuff had started to infuse in my life. And, and I wanted an electric guitar and uh, I wanted that for jazz band and I wanted it to be able to play, you know, rock stuff. So uh, pretty much around 11 years old, I, I've, I started, you know, really playing guitar and accompanying my voice. But I really got more into guitar than I even got into the voice at that point. And I really was a guitar player, a guitar teacher, until I got the call to uh, be the singer for Vinnie Vincent. And I, you know, put the guitar down, and that's that. The rest is history. Was was you know joining Vinnie Vincent Invasion? Was that like you know the first break that you ever had in the music industry? Oh, absolutely. As far as being in front of people, I mean, I I played clubs and did the things that you know most musicians do, and. You know, I was a guy that would set up the whole PA system and drive all the stuff there and, and you know, not, not enough time to go home and shower and wash off in the sink and then do the show and then tear everything down and get it back. Um, it's just how, I, how we did it then. Um, so, you know, in, in the side of, of, of that, that side with Vinnie Vincent, yes, it was my first real gig, but... You know, I was driven. I, I I wanted to do it. I you know I'd do anything I could in any side of it to make it in this industry. And when I got the call to hey we're you know we're gonna go do this and we need a singer and and uh, and the funny thing is is it was with Alice Cooper and I'm like oh man that's crazy. So <laughs> my first show as a lead singer with Vinnie Vincent was in front of you know thousands of people with Alice Cooper wow. and. Uh, we ended up doing that, and then we ended up doing Iron Maiden. Uh, came back, and 
you know, the funny thing is that people don't realize, once again, we put the band Slaughter together. The band had never played live as a band. And uh, we did rehearsals. All the songs were made in the studio. And uh, the first time we played live was with Kiss. <laughs> That's crazy. And we, and we did the show. And the crazy thing is, is MTV was there. And we got our dressing room. There's the... CEO of the con- of the company, as well as the, the president of uh, Chrysalis, Joe Keener and uh, John Sykes, they're the, the, the two gentlemen from Chrysalis, and they handed us gold records on our first show. Wow. And I was like, you know what? This, I, this is, this is going to be pretty cool. I mean, we knew we had a good ride at that point. Right. With those stories sort of like, having a couple of instances where you just being like thrown into the deep end, you know, live, you know, live performance wise, sort of what was your thought process, you know, when realizing, Oh shit, I'm going to be like all of a sudden in front of all these people at this big show opening up for these big bands. Well, the, the thing that you do is you, you know, okay, this is my shot. Do I go out there and just kind of do it? Do I you know, go out there and, Really, you know, you just, like you said, you just get thrown in the deep end and you just swim as fast as you can. And, you know, that was one thing that I learned is pacing as I've gotten older in music. It's, it's the pacing of of how you run a show. You don't have to just completely, you know, just plug in and, and, and light up. There's, there's, there's a calm that you, that you learn. I mean, I learned it from, you know, from Ozzy and from, you know, from Paul Stanley and all the entertainers, there was a point where you just go, okay, you can just walk out and just be you. And when you get that comfort to where you feel like everybody's in your living room, it's a, it's a totally different thing than when you're walking out there when your heart's beating and going, oh my God, this is killer. You know, it's, you, you get a different feel as a performer. When, when you were talking about, you know, everything that you did, you know, before joining Vinnie Vincent to sort of break into the industry, you know, tearing, you know, bringing gear and everything, you know, in your experience, what sort of like timeless advice, you know, would you give to anybody trying to break into you know, any sort of, you know, avenue of artistry? Well, I think that what, when you, if you're an artist, you make art. Um, you know, it's the same reason why I'm doing, you know, solo records. It's not like, like I said, I, you, you do it because you still have a love for it. You still have a love to make, uh, to, to make that. And, you know, if you still have a love for it and there's a, a honest passion there, then you'll continue to make art when it becomes all about a paycheck, then it's really not art. Then you really lost the whole meaning of why you started it in the first place. It's like the love of, for instance, Led Zeppelin, when I went from learning folk guitar into understanding how, you know, Jimmy Page would do his phrasing or chords and stuff. It was, you know, it, it's, it's a love of that. It's a love of understanding that. It's love of how that music also, as you're learning it, also becomes a part of your life. Uh, looking back at your time being a part of the Vinnie Vincent invasion, what really sticks out in your mind about that time? You know, it was, it was, you know, I was a hired front man. And so I felt like I was on the grill every time I went out there. You know, it was not like something where I joined a band and said, yeah, I'm in a band. I mean, it was, you know, 
it's kind of like that hired gun movie. You went out there and, <laughs> you know, but you're, you know, you feel like you're replaceable. And, uh, um, you know, it wasn't until about halfway through the Iron Maiden tour that I felt like, oh yeah, I got this because again, I had my confidence. I had my, I understood, you know, working a crowd. I was with, you know, two front men that are, you know, amazing Bruce Dickinson and Alice Cooper. I mean, that, that was kind of, <laughs> that was my, the guys around me at that time. Right. Wow. So, you know, I learned, I learned a lot from, you know, as, as a 21 year old to go, okay, now how are they doing this and what do they do? And, and, you know, really looking at it through, you know, the side of the stage eyes of, you know, how do I have that? How can I be that good? You know, you never stop learning. You never stop honing your craft. Anybody says, yeah, I know how to do that. I don't need any help <laughs> is, is, is really just uh, shortchanging themselves because there's always something you can learn. There's always something that you can do that's going to make something better. Right. And, and, uh, you know, I strive for knowledge, you know, I still in my age, I'm still, you know, when we get off this phone call, I'm going to pick up my guitar and I'm going to work on a couple of things that, that are, are uncomfortable for me to play, but it's the same side of learning something new. Between Vinnie Vincent and Slaughter, you've always had uh, Dana Strom right there by your side. You know, what was it like working with him? Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, Dana has always been the big brother. You know, he's always been that, that, that guy next to me and, and has been a dear friend for, for many, many years. Um, um, he's, he's very, he's a very, very good businessman. And uh, he's got great ears and he's got great intuition. So I think that one of the things when I first met Dana, it's funny, we've only touched one time on, on this in, in an interview, the two of us talking, but we both knew that if we were together doing a project, that it would be successful. And I, I walked in to do backgrounds on a project he was doing called Sin, which is Rick Fox's band. The guys in black and blue, Tommy Thayer, who's a current guitar player of KISS, was there. It's the first time I met Dana. And uh, Dana, you know, at the end of the night when everybody else stopped singing background vocals, here I am standing in front of a microphone in in the studio where Thriller was tracked. And uh, and I'm just going, you know, man, this is, this is surreal. And I knew that if I had him on the other side of the glass... And then if the two of us were ever working on even my own stuff or anything, I knew that something would happen. And he knew this guy's, you know, he's indelible. He's, he, he keeps coming back with fire. He knew I had fire in me. And I think what, what I mean by that is you have a desire to, to get better, a desire to do it better each time, a desire to learn and to grow and to grow. And, you know, there's a lot of musicians just like, yeah, man, I know. And it's, you know, to me, it's always listen, always evaluate and never discredit anybody's opinion or thoughts and then grow by that and, and become better. Yeah. During your time, certainly that's what, you know, that's what Dana's, you know, what we, what we've discussed over the years is, you know, we both knew that. Yeah. During your time with Vinnie Vincent and Ansa Slaughter, you were somebody that had a very unique voice and, 
a very you know a very good look you know people you know women always you know thought you were a very <laughs> beautiful man you know did any of that ever sort of you know get in the way of what you were doing did you ever let that affect you no no i was always uh, i i i never i never thought you, you never go oh man i'm i'm this i i <laughs> i think that all i ever did was try to think of how can i make how can i make this music better i mean i you know, certainly chase the girls on, you know, that was, and you know, other people were, were doing drugs and ever and everything else. And I certainly, uh, certainly loved the ladies. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but in that, I think that, you know, again, it's a desire to grow in your business, which is your music and to make your, you know, the music business successful, you have to work at it. It's not a given. You know, just because somebody's really good, somebody doesn't just hand them a bunch of money and say, I think you're great. Here's millions of dollars. There's always some type of stipulation that that's the end of your money. <laughs> you know, there's always something there that, that in, in business is never, it's never that Cinderella story. It's, you know, you just have to, um, you have to work hard at it. Outside these bands, you know, I did read, you know, something very interesting is that over the years you've done a lot of, you know, voiceover work for television and movies and sports outlets. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, talk more about that. You know, what's some of the, you know, the, the biggest things that you've done in that sort of uh, realm and how'd you get into doing that? Um, I was always a goofball and imitated things. And there was a friend of mine named Jess Harnell who was, was, uh, and still is an amazing voice actor. And, uh, he, he's the one that kind of, Hey man, you should, you should do this or Hey, you know, he was already successful working on many, many, um, voiceover stuff, animaniacs and stuff. He was one of the lead roles on it. And, and he, you know, he got me in on it. And, uh, then later I did, you know, commercials. I did some voiceovers for, for, uh, for Mattel. And, you know, it's funny, like the Saturday morning, uh, card well the commercials that I used to see as a kid, I find myself doing a few of those and being the exciting guy to make, you know, the Thunder Roller racing game exciting for people, you know. <laughs> uh but it was like it was it was really cool. I mean it's it's a it's a great avenue. I, I like doing the voiceover stuff and then I got into doing again, it's just for me it goes far left, far right, and then I ended up doing music for, for Fox television, which is just sports uh, bumpers and music and you know that stuff's still being used today and um in between games and stuff like that it's just nothing but guitar music right. and you know just real heavy rock band stuff or uh, just a couple jazz things i did so you know it's it's uh just making music and you know again it's kind of weird you do those those the music for television it's like you know nobody knows it's you but you're still able to make music, still be musical and step out of the boundaries of what people would think that you would do because you can at that point, nobody's really looking at the face and likeness to match it. You know, oh, you don't do that. You know, you don't, you don't play jazz. Well, you know, I do on a couple of the Fox bumpers, you know? Yeah. Like during, you know, definitely during, uh, you know, previous, you know, decades of you know, music, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of musicians that would just know how to be in a band, but how does it feel to be able to 
you know, just have it reconciled in your mind that you could do all these other things, you know, that, you know, may not even, you know, people, like you said, people might not even know you do, but you just still be able to be an artist and contribute to all these different things. How does that sort of feel in your mind? Well, to me, it's, it's very, uh, um, fulfilling to me to be able to do other things, you know, again, to produce other bands and, and, uh, there's a band called River Shine out that has a, a a country band that I produced and and uh, and uh, they've got a track and and you know on radio right now it'd be my lover and it's like you know there's there's the lover I think is what they call it and and you know I've done those those tracks here at my house you know in my studio I worked with a band called Stereo Fuse years ago and really loved doing that and that was kind of like when there was the kind of the songs more about songs and kind of folky thing, but alternative. And, and, uh, I played bass on the record and produced the record with these guys. And, and, you know, I had a blast doing it, but it never really saw the light of day. And it was just because it didn't see the light of day. Do I like it less? No, I really enjoyed making that record. It was guys had some great songs and it was, it was good stuff. It's just, you know, sometimes it connects and sometimes it doesn't. Right. What sort of advice would you have to anybody these days who, you know, just to have that, that sort of open-minded attitude to, you know, other forms of, you know, other avenues of artistry that they could sort of pick up like you did, you know, aside from maybe their main thing that they're working on? Um, I think that it's that there's no rules in music, especially today. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's almost become more of a streaming. It's, it's music is streaming now more than it is. Um, you know, music is streaming. is not about selling product because the, the CD is ending, you know, people are not really noticing it, but it's just, it's just slowly going away. I mean, it's not CD ROMs are not in computers. CD players are not in cars anymore. You know, it's become a streaming, you know, digital world. So there will be no product except for the vinyl enthusiast. Right. And, you know, that's kind of strange because now, now you're selling something that once you sell it to one person, they could give it to 10 of their friends. So, you know, now it's, it's the music industry at this point is, is changed financially. Um, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of odd, you know? Right. You know, what are you doing but these days? You know, what sort of, uh, projects are you working on currently? Uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm doing a new, I have a new song I'm, I'm putting out with this, uh, guitar player named Mike Hamill and it's just very old school rock and roll. It's just very good times. You know, it's, it's really about driving and doing something that's really, really, um, Thank you. It's really about making music that's upbeat and, and makes you feel good. Because that's really ultimately that's what you're trying to do as, a, as an artist is to resonate to people one way or another. And uh, certainly in that side, I think the track's got that. And but it's going to be a complete digital download. It's not going to have. There's you know I'm not planning on doing any any uh, physical product because I don't think that's there anymore. Whether it's the new stuff or, you know, stuff from your past, 
you know, how do you feel like the music that you make that you make can resonate to the crowds of 2019, especially you know the world that we're living in right now? Well, I think that you know, for for what I've done, you know, I come from a lot of history of of this music, so I can dive back into you know the bands that I toured with and dive back into where I came from, and people have that common thread because they were there um for new music i mean i don't know how new music is is discovered it's just kind of one of those things that things are discovered and becomes like a more of a buzz on the internet than something that really moves product so um you know i don't know i don't know the industry right now i really don't i don't i don't worry about it anymore i don't try to (laughs) this is how it's going to work this is how you make money this is I think that you just do you just do what you do and um, and have a love for it because I think that's the most important part of of anything that a person would do in their job is find something they love and do it. And you know we kind of you know talked about it before, but I always still like to like to a certain extent. But I always like to ask this question: Is you know what's a sort of a nugget of knowledge from your entire life or career that anybody listening to this? no matter, you know, what they do could sort of uh, project into their own life. I actually put it in one of my songs a long time ago, which is what you think of me is none of my business. And that's that you don't worry about what people think about you. You just be you. And I think that if you start just being comfortable with who you are and not trying to conform to be something you're not, um, honesty is the, you know, certainly the character that people understand and know. So, you know, I, I've always been the kind of the guy next door type thing. I didn't really try to put on a rock star facade or anything else. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I just love rock and roll. I just love music. I love the spectacle of playing shows. Um, and I think that, you know, my, my advice is to find something you love. And if you love doing something, then do it. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as there's something that you really enjoy and that if you're, if you're happy, that's all that matters. Do you feel like, you know, throughout all the bands that you've been in, you know, all the attention, all the, you know, popular albums, do you feel like, you know, for the most part that you, you really stuck to your guns all those years? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that, you know, when it wasn't cool, I, you know, to, to do what we do, we were still doing it. And uh, I think that was one of the things that was a conscious thing. You go, well, what are we going to do? I mean, as a musician uh, of a working music business, you go, what are we going to do? And then you just go, okay, well, we're going to do what we, what we do. And I think that, you know, you look at everything as, as the piece of the pie, you know, there's a big piece of pie and you look at what percentage do you belong in that, in that pie. And if it's 1% of that big pie, that's, that's still pretty good of a big pie. You know, you, you don't overthink it. You just try to do something that you think will fit, but also doesn't uh, degrade who you are or what you represent. Just kind of, you know, finish things off. Uh... When it's all said and done, what do you hope your legacy is? I, I, I you know, I, I don't really, I haven't really thought about that. I think the key point is, is that uh, 
that in music it's just it's a space between music it's the it's the rest between it's the thoughts between words it's the the things that that matter and i think we get so caught up into the words that go by or all the notes that go by and we don't really think of the spaces i think the spaces are very important and in mindfulness i think that that's the one thing i hope people would find is that that peace and that space because that's the most important part of life itself i need to to belong so i hope that someplace in the music they find that peace they find that 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 place that that uh you know they escape to because that's really what music has always been for me it's been my escape nice. so you know, i just hope that they you know use that soundtrack and make it a part of their lives and you know i'm 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 just a I guess it's, you look at it as almost a poet and a musician at the same time because that's what we do. But you know, I don't overthink about what I'm I'm doing. I just try to have some mindfulness in what I do, and at the same time, I try to keep the party rolling. It's a <laughs> kind of a very crazy balance that you try to do. You try to keep the party going at a concert, but at the same time, you got to have these moments that that matter. And I think that's what we have done thus far. In, you know, in in music. Great. All right, Mark, it's been great talking with you. Like I said, I've been a fan since I was nine years old. The Stick It To You album. That's great. Was, the Stick It To You album. Where are you located at? Where are you at? I'm in um, um, just outside of Detroit. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I have a couple things that I'm going to be up in, in your neck of the woods. I have a scrap metal thing that I'm doing up there, and, and there's also a um, – I think there's a slaughter gig up in that in those parts too. Right. And, and – uh, I'm doing the benefit concert for some uh, for a gentleman who's got cancer, so I'm just doing that off the radar as well. So I mean, that's what you do, you know. Right, definitely. So at some point, when you if you know I'm around, just uh, get in touch, and we'll take care of you. All right, great. Where can people go online to get more information about what you're doing? Um, well, obviously, it's the typical, you know, social media things of uh, the official Mark Slaughter. Um, I should say Mark Slaughter official and, um, and, uh, also, um, Mark, www.markslaughter.com, uh, slaughterusa.com. And, uh, those, that's the best place to find the dates and find out where I'm at and what's going on. And, uh, we try to be as current as we can on that stuff, but it's kind of one of those things that, <laughs> you know, I don't live completely in the internet and I proudly, you know, say that I don't, <laughs> I don't graze over that and people's thoughts of things. I just really try to, to, to be a part of the world more than that. But right. uh, that's the best place to find it. All right, great, man. It's been to great talking with you, man. Thank you for taking the time. Same here. Look forward to seeing you at a show. We'll definitely take care of you. All right, thank you, man. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for your love of the music. I really do appreciate that. No problem. Have a nice day. So that was my interview with Mark Slaughter. He was so awesome to talk to, like I said. It was a bucket list interview. Oh man, I'm still like I'm still excited that I got to talk with him. I'm definitely gonna be uh, checking him out when he hits uh, Michigan later on this month. And uh, you know, there's gonna be links in the show notes for this episode at freshthepodcast.com to where you can follow Mark Slaughter and check out all the tour dates that are coming up for Slaughter on. Uh, Looks like on Sunday, the 28th of July, he will be with Slaughter at the Token Lounge in Westland, Michigan. 
And guess what? I'm going to be there because I've never seen Slaughter live. And like I said, I love Slaughter. All right. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.